Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everybody, this is the Sharp Tongue Podcast. I'm your girl, Jessie May. Another week, another dollar. You guys are here to hear me holla. Hope you're feeling good. I'm excited for today's episode. It's going to be very informative. So get your pen and paper ready to take some notes for your health, to your health. But before you do that, make sure you subscribe to the YouTube page, youtube.com forward slash Jessie May Peluso. Also, make sure you guys check out my promotion with bite if you have some crooked ass teeth we can help you we've teamed up and we're going to help you fix those crooked ass stonehenge teeth of yours very simply and for a fraction of the price especially compared to all the competitors on the market fix those crooked ass teeth you feel me life is way too short way too short to be living with some crooked ass teeth so fix them check the show notes for the link use promo code jesse may you can get a hundred dollars off your aligners you're welcome for your new smile i'm using them i have a crooked ass snaggle tooth like channing tatum on my bottom row that i'm gonna fix it up and make it look real nice real nice and what else cameo is pumping book me on cameo i did a couple for mother's day thank you guys so much go to cameo hit up anybody really you don't have to book me book whoever you want I don't give a shit I'm fine I'm secure in who I am but if you would like me to make you a custom video you can do it through cameo a lot of you guys hit me up like hey do you have a minute you can shoot a facetime to my wife I love all of you but if I did all of that for everybody I would have no minutes for myself so you got to book your bitch if you want your bitch to show up for your bitch or your friend or your boss or your ex-husband or your new boyfriend whatever it is book cameo Okay, make it right, make it cute, and come correct. Speaking of coming correct, smooth-ass segue. We're going to get right into this episode. Our next guest is Dr. James DeNicola Antonio. He is a cardiovascular research scientist and doctor of pharmacy at St. Luke's Mid-America Heart Institute in Kansas City, Missouri, and the author of The Salt Fix and Superfuel. I found him on Instagram because I am constantly searching for information, and that's where I get most of mine, which is probably why I am as ill-informed as I am. But sometimes you find 
find gold like this. He is a well-respected and internationally known scientist and expert on health and nutrition. He also is the associate editor of nutrition in British medical journals, BMJ, Open Heart. It's a journal published in partnership with the British Cardiovascular Society. He is the author or co-author of approximately 200 publications in the medical literature, and he is here today for us. Please enjoy my conversation, very educational conversation, with Dr. James DeNichol Antonio. Sharp Tongue Podcast. Beep, 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 beep. You're listening to the Sharp Tongue Podcast. I'm your host, Jesse May Peluso. It's a personal look. Well, it's not really a look because it's a podcast. I'm already fucking this up. This is kind of like a verbal comedy diary, a deep look into the crevices of my mind. It's going to get dirty. You might cry. You'll probably laugh. Hopefully you'll laugh. The whole point is for you to laugh, but you also might cry. I talk about my family. I talk about farts. farts. I talk about love, loss, comedy, how hard it is to make it in this biz. I'm a fucking professional. Each week it's something different. Sometimes I have a guest host. Sometimes it's going to be a movie companion episode. Sometimes I just ramble about the bullshit I dealt with the week before. You never know what you're going to get. It's raw, uncut, and funny. It's me. We did it. We're here. We made it happen. I'm on the floor of my sister's guest room and... This guest is has already had a, an extensive intro, so there's no other intro needed. Everybody, please welcome to the podcast, Dr. James Antonio. How are you, sir? Doing well. Thanks for having me on. Yes, we tried before and our <laughs> my Wi-Fi was brutal, so I appreciate you being here. I have so many questions for you because I am a nerd. Um, last time we started off talking about COVID, and that's about as far as we got. And I had asked you your professional opinion on the vaccine vaccination. Do we get it? Is it worth it? What are your opinions on that as far as the information is now? Right. And, and sort of my feeling is, is, is a personal preference, right? And so it's like your personal choice, obviously. And I think we have several clinical studies now on these vaccines and some are different, right? There's mRNA vaccines. Um, and then there's, you know, other, other types, but Essentially, at least the, the the two most common ones in the United States, Moderna and Pfizer, have about a 90% efficacy. Uh, and so, you know, there's been millions of doses given, very few um, severe side effects. So I think for, for most people, um, I think the benefit to risk ratio is probably high. So it just, again, personal preference. So and what we had sort of also discussed was what's the difference between coronavirus and the flu, right? right. Because that's sort of going to depend on if you get this vaccine or not. So, you know, the flu, typically you get, you get symptoms for a few days and then you're okay. And the difference really here with COVID is that um, about 13% of people will have symptoms that actually last longer than a month or essentially what's called long COVID. Um, and so basically uh, 5% of people will have symptoms that last more than two months. So this doesn't happen with the flu. You don't have persistent symptoms of, you know, cognitive decline, fatigue, breathing issues. Um, people are losing their jobs from the cognitive impairment from COVID. 
And, you know, there's inflammation in the lung and not only in the lungs, but also the heart. When they look at people who were actually symptomatic, uh, actually looking at MRI scans of the heart, um, anywhere from 20 to up to 75 percent of people can still have persistent inflammation in the heart. So that's what that's the difference. And so while the mortality rate doesn't seem to be very high. Right. So 99.8 percent of people essentially live from this. We're seeing that, you know, 13 percent of people could potentially have long symptoms from it. And, you know, I've heard people talk about the effects of like comorbidity in in conjunction with the outcome of how effective the vaccination is and also how um, how much you get as far as like symptoms and and pass away. And and is what, what, what is what do the comorbidities have to do with? what happens on the other side of, of COVID? That's such a great question. I'm glad you asked this one too, because this is actually um, something that we cover uh, in the immunity fix and in the mineral fix, essentially. Which are two the- of his books. Um, he's got Superfuel, the immunity fix, the salt fix, and longevity solution? Solution, yep. Yes. Right. So like the key, what you were just kind of referring to is, is yes, not everybody... Essentially, there are risk factors that will potentially increase your risk of not only having a poor outcome, but potentially dying from COVID. And one of the worst risk factors is having low levels of vitamin D, as in dog. So vitamin D deficiency, there's 1 billion people globally that are D deficient, and half the global population is vitamin D insufficient. Now, if you are D deficient, which is essentially a vitamin D level below 20 nanograms per ml. This can increase your risk of dying from COVID-19 by about 15 fold, which is more than even being older than 60 years old. You can't do anything about your age, but you can certainly fix your vitamin D levels. So that's the key that isn't really being talked about in the news or the media is that there's these risk factors that dramatically increase your risk of having a poor COVID outcome like D deficiency or selenium or zinc deficiency, which increases your risk of dying from COVID by anywhere from three to five fold. Which you talk a lot about, you know, you talk a lot about selenium and zinc on your Instagram and in your um, profession. What, what is, okay. Well, first question I have is I'm somebody who I consider myself relatively healthy. I live in sunny California. I had all my blood work done recently with one of my doctors and he said I was vitamin D deficient. So is the sun not enough? That's a good point. The sun may not be enough if you're not exposing enough uh, parts of your body um, or if you're not, if you're using sunblock, which most people are, you need to actually have like maybe 10 minutes of non sunblocked skin, get the actual UV to produce the vitamin D. Directly into your butthole, which is what people are doing. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Some people are getting crazy um, and doing full full body exposure. That's how I like to get my vitamin D, Doc, is I just, I do full moon it, aim it towards the sun. (laughs) (laughs) That's how we we did it in evolutionary times, right? (laughs) I was Um, shocked to get that, that result. He's like, you're vitamin D deficient. I was like, what? I was like, first of all, I've been single for a while. So I get that that vitamin D has been a little deficient, but- the real vitamin D? I was surprised. So mm-hmm. it, would it behoove me to supplement a supplement within my regimen? Is that what maybe I'm just not getting enough sun? Well, it's, well, yeah, it's both the combination of 
it's very difficult for most people to get vitamin D from the diet because such little food actually contains good amounts of it. Certain fish like salmon actually has fairly decent amounts of vitamin D, but really not enough to get people to optimal levels. So we think that an optimal level is somewhere between really 50 and 60 nanograms per ml, whereas um, most people are probably sitting at around 25. So there's a they, they have a lot to go to hit optimal levels. That's, you see, people don't, that's the one thing, like, it is on ourselves to educate ourselves, but there's so much information out there. And I've honestly gotten uh, better results from talking to people like yourselves who I find on Instagram. So it's the one benefit of social media, having access to medical professionals like yourself. Um, But, you know, it's, there's so much to sift through. Like, what, in your opinion, when it comes to supplements like selenium and zinc and vitamin D, besides getting it from nutrition, how do you know a good supplement? How do you choose out of the thousands of options which one to go with? It's overwhelming. It's like option paralysis. I'm like, I'm just right. going to drink wine and have tequila tonight because I can't deal with the decision process. Right. That's it. I mean, and for the regular consumer, that is the struggle is real because there's so many different companies out there. And where do you even start? Where do you even begin? Yeah. And there are certain um, labelings that you should look for, like USP, which is United States Pharmacopoeia. So something is USP. That's a higher quality supplement. Okay. Um, It meets certain regulatory standards. So there's certain fish oils um, or vitamin D supplements that are USP. They actually meet that certification. Um. There's also something called NSF certified, which is like your next step up. And that's step. if your supplements are from a facility that is NS- NSF certified, that is great. And if the specific actual supplement itself is also NS certified, that's even a step higher. Now, you don't have to have necessarily all of those top tier certifications, but that's something to look for. The other thing I try to look for is what is the best supplement that is as close to nature as possible? So when I supplement, right? Yeah. Because you can get selenium as just a, you know, just as a mineral, right? Right. Yeah, exactly. Or vitamin C just as a synthetic vitamin C. But I try to always source things from food. So I get my vitamin C through something called camu camu powder, which is just like this Brazilian Amazonian fruit that they basically take and make it into a whole fruit powder. So that I'm you getting buy not from just... a witch doctor on the back of a unicorn. <laughs> <laughs> What's That's it what called? Most do. It's called a, a camu camu camu. It's a fruit. Okay. And they just turn it into a whole fruit powder. So instead of like just taking synthetic vitamin C, I'm essentially taking a whole fruit powder. That, um, to me, like I'm not a doctor, you're the doctor. I would think your body's mineral absorption and your absorption capability would be more effective with a actual organic material as opposed to something synthetic. Is there anything to yeah, that I like think, as far as the absorption? I think... It depends. It, it depends because it, f- for certain minerals, they actually, actually have to dissolve in solution and become quote unquote ionic. So to allow the body to absorb it and some, some supplements actually, even if they're synthetic, they'll actually hack nature and they'll put them on a small amino acid and sort of force the mineral into the body. Ah. So it depends, it depends, but you're not getting the full range of bioactives. Right. If you're just taking a single, right. Ascorbic acid versus a whole fruit powder, which is going to provide a bunch of other stuff. Right. So to give you, to give you an example, they've done studies comparing vitamin C to camu camu 
in smokers. And the vitamin C did not reduce oxidative stress in the body, but the camu camu powder did, despite the fact that the camu camu powder was providing the exact same amount of vitamin C. So that goes to show you always want to get as close to nature as possible when you're trying yeah. to source this up. Because it's like all these other additives, well, not additives, all these other um, components act right. as like like Uber drivers and like moral support. <laughs> it's like right? it's like the team gets around the mineral to make it so that his job is done better, like me and my my whole team, so I can be a oh, good... It's like your glam squad, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like the hair, the skin, the nails, so you get everything you want, right? So the bioavailability is dependent upon the components glam squad. I love that. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, to get more personal, why did you choose the field that you're in? You know, I feel like it's a... The field of medicine that you're in is a risky area. Yeah. Well, actually, I mean, I wanted to be a lawyer at first, and um, I got into more medicine, cardiovascular research, because my, my mom and dad really wanted me to do something in, in that field. And luckily, I didn't really know what I wanted to do at like 17 anyway, so I'm glad they sort of steered me into, into health. Why would they steer you? Are they also medical professionals, or do they just want some free care? Because I'm, I'm here for that. Yeah. Yeah, my mom is a, right. My mom is a medical professional. And um, I think just from a moral perspective, she wanted me to pursue health rather than law. Um, not that you can't be a morally great lawyer, but um, she didn't, I guess law is a little bit more focused on money versus health is obviously focused on health. So she just, she just wanted me to end up being, I don't know, going down that field. And I'm glad I did. You could have been the male Aaron Brockovich, you know, there are areas of the law where you could, you know, end up helping people in some way. But yeah, I guess, you know, Very true. Very true. cardiology, you know, I feel like it's, it's such a tough area of medicine because the number one cause of death in our society has to do with the heart. And so there's a lot of responsibility on your end to uphold your education and to make sure that you're not staying stagnant in information, which as a person who is a patient, I've come across that so often. Doctors just sometimes like any career or business, they get complacent and they're not really looking to push the envelope as far as like, well, let me think outside of the box and bring some solutions to what you might be experiencing as my patient. So how do you, I guess my question is, how do you stay, first of all, passionate about what you're doing? And second of all, how do you keep yourself informed up to the minute of what's changing in your industry? So, I mean, all my learning really has come from myself. Like after I graduated um, with my doctorate from the University of Buffalo, really that was just to learn about, you know, this disease and this is pathophysiology and these medications. Okay, that's great. But really my in-depth knowledge of nutrition, um, exercise, sleep, all these things has come after uh, graduating. They don't really teach you a whole lot about nutrition. Um, Why is that? And, like, that, that's one of the most frustrating. I didn't mean to cut you off because from a personal yeah. standpoint, my mother had heart issues and she's since passed, mm -hmm. but she went to a heart doctor, a cardiologist who didn't question her nutrition. And to me, that, and that's one of the things that attracted me to your work and what you do. You, that's the first thing you're talking about. You're, you're, right. you're covering the baseline of sleep, nutrition, exercise, sun. Like, why don't doctors, and I hate to generalize, but why is that not the first thought or question? 
I think it's, it's almost sort of suppressed in, in medical school and in pharmacy school and all these other um, medical programs. It's, it's just not given the classes aren't given. And, and there's definite reasons why, because pharma, you know, puts a lot of their money towards education and you get your CE credits through these drug companies promoting their drug. So that's so shady, slowly, doc. Isn't it's, it? shady. it's terrible. It's so terrible. And that's really where the passion comes from is sort of to um, sort of fight against that because these, you know, it's not just the pharmaceutical industry. It's also the food industry that are paying certain scientists to promote a certain agenda. Uh. And, and so, and then you only, most people only know what they know through media or through what their doctor says. So if both are kind of being controlled by big food and pharma, then most of them are getting biased information. Yeah. And it's now we're starting to evolve. You know, one of the greatest things about living in California is everyone is so health conscious and people talk shit about Californians and their health obsessions, but they are constantly evolving and learning what the new thing is to keep yourself healthy, healthy and youthful and all of these things. That's the one huge benefit is having the access to that. But so many people don't like my parents and I'm sure your parents, they come from a generation where it was like, white bread, meat, cheese. Not that those things are terrible, but so much of it was mass produced. And you know, like in order to get things mass produced, you have to start to alter the original product. And that's where it gets really shifty. Um, But as far as like your area of medicine and expertise, you know, and and, and cardiovascular disease being such a huge killer and and something that affects so many people in this country, um, what do you think is the most common issue that people have when it comes to the heart? What is the n- number one issue that people come with? That would be atherosclerosis or basically plaque in the arteries. I mean, that can start developing at age four, especially in the United States. So basically consuming these oh processed foods yeah, can start literally causing your, your arteries to develop plaque and, and also calcifications in the arteries as well. And, is there anything somebody can do just on a day-to-day basis? Like if somebody like myself, 38 years old, relatively healthy, although I do come from somebody who had heart issues, so I might be more susceptible and have a predisposition to accumulate plaques and things like that. What can someone like me do? Is there anything you can eat or do to reduce the plaque in a natural way? Or do you need to get into pharmaceuticals? Well, the best thing to do is to not eat certain things, right? So to not, especially things that are deep fried, like avoiding everything that's deep fried, including donuts, right? Deep fried chicken, anything that is fried in an oil is typically going to be terrible for the arteries because you're oxidizing the oil and you're creating all these oxidized lipids and fats and cholesterol. And then you absorb that and it can actually get into the cell membranes and mess up the structures of those. So really avoiding deep fried foods, avoiding refined sugars, refined flours and processed um, carbohydrates. And then all the things our parents grew up on. All the things we grew up on too, right? Chips, potato chips and all those oils. Do you remember the Olestra chips or whatever? Oh my God. They were like health chips. We're, we're we're all like these experimental poor, poor us. I was like an eighties child, right? And just had all this Captain Crunch and all these crazy cereals. Captain Crunch is so good. Don't you talk shit about Captain Crunch. I will come for you. I will come for you. Oh my gosh, it is so good. (laughs) It is. I haven't had a bowl of Captain Crunch in probably 15 years, to be honest. Me neither. The the hard thing also is that these foods, 
so much of our diet, I would assume yours from the eighties was built on sugar. And, you know, I, I wish we had enough time to get into each one of your books. You guys should check them out. Um, Superfuel, first of all, talks about the good and bad oils, which is something that I started to look into because I'm wondering, like, all these oils that are coming out as healthy alternative oils like sunflower oil and palm oil and, um, you know, just all these different types of oils. What are the ones that are good? Which ones can you have raw? And which ones also take into factor when you start to heat these up? That changes everything. Right. So exactly. what would you say is the number one oil to avoid? I'm going in the grocery store. I see a bag of chips. What is the oil to avoid at all costs? Oh, canola oil for sure. Sunflower, uh, safflower, soybean oil. It sounds oil. so healthy. Right. These vegetable oils are literally the worst because they are filled with these double bonds that are very easily oxidized when you cook. And actually to actually get, I mean, if you think about it, right. Um, a soybean or a cottonseed, like to get oil out of that or, or, or a sunflower seed, you have to use tremendous pressure, heat, hex, hexane, which are these chemical solvents, even to get the oil out of wherever it's coming from. It's typically a seed. And so it's it's basically oxidized before you even start cooking with it. So th- those healthy oils that are promoted, like corn oil that help lower cholesterol, are literally the worst oils to consume because they oxidize the cholesterol in your own body. And this is also what's leading to plaque buildup. 100%. It's probably the worst. The worst thing that we're consuming is oxidized omega-6 seed oils, which are typically what is used to deep fry these foods as well. And, you know, I've started to get to the point where I'm really considering asking what type of oil things are being cooked in. Is that a crazy request when I go out to eat? Does that make me a crazy person? They're going to think you're crazy, but no, that is absolutely not a crazy request. But there's really almost no point in asking because 99% of the time, restaurants are going to use those omega-6 seed oils because they're so cheap. They're not going to tell you, oh yes, we cook an extra virgin olive oil. And by the way, it's organic. No, No one's cooking in that type of oil. I would rather, honestly, I'm thinking about, I'm envisioning myself requesting a specific oil and then them going back to the chef and him spitting in my food. I would take the spit over the oil that they're using. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's hysterical. <laughs> um, do Another question I have is with these oils, now you have the oxid, 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 oxid say it? Oxidation. Oxidation, right? yeah. Mm-hmm. So you have that factor. Now, yeah. when... Does that cause inflammation in the body? Just having that type of food, yes. chemical in your body would cause inflammation. It which does. through my self-education, because my father also who's passed away had Alzheimer's disease. So I was very much interested in learning about inflammation and its effect on the body because of the nature of, of dementia and um, a lot of uh, people in the industry attributing it to inflammation. Also in Superfuel, you talk about the anti-inflammatory foods. What are some of the best foods people can eat? Because again, one thing that you've said that I think I might have messaged you about, people talk about how expensive it is to eat healthy and how some of these anti-inflammatory foods might be expensive. But what's more expensive, a bag of organic kale or a hospital bill that you've accumulated over years because you haven't eaten well? So. I guess the question is, what are the foods that people should be eating as far as anti-inflammatories is considered? 
So if you're talking about like something that actually can suppress inflammation, like acutely that you're going to notice benefit, potentially notice some benefits. So things like um, ginger, things like um, extra virgin olive oil, uh, because of the polyphenols are very anti-inflammatory. Turmeric, which is, you know, a lot of Indian foods and cuisines cook with turmeric. um, That is very anti-inflammatory. Garlic is anti-inflammatory. Um, and then black seeds, some people will grind black seeds and put it into like plant protein yogurts and things like that. Black seeds are very anti-inflammatory. And then if you're talking about like foods that are just healthy in general, um, mm-hmm. I think like pastured um, meat, uh, especially some liver, which has nutrients that we typically don't get in the diet, like folate, vitamin A and copper, which so many women are also def- uh, deficient in um, because nobody really consumes organ meats. And it's actually extremely important. Um, what's actually, I mean, what's really wild is that animals, carnivores will typically go right for the liver, like killer whales, they'll kill, um, great whites and they will only eat the liver and then they'll go on and lions too. Typically they'll, they'll consume the intestines and liver right away because it's so nutrient dense and we're actually throwing the most nutrient dense parts of the animal out and just typically consuming muscle meat. So I typically consume these blended meats. They're like 75% muscle meat and 25% liver and heart. You can get them through certain um, certain farmers. We'll actually just ship them right to you. I'm just going to say, what slaughterhouse are you going to? Because that sounds like yeah. a really specific order. Right. <laughs> I love a well, it's pre- liver <laughs> shoulder deal. <laughs> yeah, it's like a, right, like a Starbucks order. Give me the liver, heart, 12.5% <laughs> of each. But no, it comes as a blend. It's in a package, just like one pound of grounded meat within some of just a little bit, 25% is those organs. And it's super important for those nutrients that so many of us are lacking. And what's interesting is animal foods, the nutrients are typically much more bioavailable compared to plant foods. Not, not to say that I don't eat plant foods. I do. I particularly eat things like spinach and um, Ezekiel bread. I love Ezekiel bread because it's basically just sprouted whole organic grains. Um, but animal foods, the nutrients are much more bioavailable. So to give you an example, spinach, the bioavailability of iron in spinach is only 2%, but in animal foods, like, like, uh, let's say muscle meat, it's 20%. So while they might say spinach is an amazing source of iron because it contains this much, it's one tenth of the bioavailability compared to animal foods. Is that because of like enzymes in the body breaking it down? Like what, what, what causes that bioavailability to increase so much in animals? Is it the process of them how they digest it? There's a couple of reasons. Um, So spinach is fairly high in oxalates, which can bind to certain minerals, particularly iron and calcium. So, So spinach is a great source of potassium and magnesium, but it's not really a good source of iron and calcium, even though it says it's very high in it. Because I always thought it was. See? Yeah. It's so fucking but not, frustrating. Not, but that's not to say you shouldn't eat spinach because it is a good source of potassium and magnesium, which most Americans aren't getting enough. Yeah, of. but I'd but, much rather have a fucking blended burger, Doc. I got to be <laughs> honest. If you're telling me I can get some more iron out of a burger, I'm going to line them up. Yeah. You know, well, there's so much like <laughs> there's so much, um, you know, virtue signaling going on when it comes to people talking about their diets and people put so much so many morals on diets to make themselves sound good. It's like, well, what is the healthiest thing? Okay. Cause I love a cow. I love to pet it and look at it. But if it's, if it's a healthy additive to my diet, I'm gonna, I'm gonna eat the fucking cow. Does that make me a bad person? (laughs) No, I don't think it does. And I think, so there's tears too of this. So that, so it goes, 
you know, a McDonald's burger isn't healthy because it's deep fried in those omega-6 oils. So it's like, don't get a McDonald's burger. That's like your bottom tier burger, right? Then right. there's above that, above, let's say a fast food burger, it's just your typical corn fed burger, which I don't think is necessarily super healthy, but it's okay. It then you have your grass. Delicious. Tastes amazing, right? Oh my God. I was in uh, Kentucky recently and uh, like one of the most famous right down the road from one of the most famous uh, slaughterhouses and they had these burgers and I was like, this is the best meat I've had. He's like, that's, that's corn fed. I'm like, okay. All right. Right. Calm down. Okay. So what's (laughs) up from the corn fed burgers that aren't necessarily the healthiest. Right. So I think, you know, bare minimum, we should really be trying to consume grass fed burgers and particularly um, from meat that is pastured. So not just like, they're not just sitting in like a stable and just eating grass. They're literally out to pasture because that's not only, Um, much more healthy, but it's much more healthier for the planet. Because if you're consuming a corn fed burger, that's a monocrop and it's terrible for the soil and terrible for sucking down carbon. So terrible for the environment. Eating a corn fed burger is not helping our environment out. Grass fed pastured meat is helping the environment out. So So you're saying by me eating a grass fed burger, I am saving the earth. If absolutely, especially that's what I heard. (laughs) Well, if you're if you're coming from a carbon sink where where you're creating soil that can actually is net carbon negative which is super important then it is especially if it's from um pastured meat so right. not just like like so basically cuz it's the it's the it's the cows pooping that are creating this healthy soil and creating like healthy vegetation and so without the animals you're not going to have healthy soil so it is an important part of the environment. I feel like we're so far gone and we're so fucked with the way we've done everything. Like as amazing as the industrial revolution was, it just, right. maybe it's man's ego that got mixed up with all of that, that just made us yeah. mass produce for, for a profit. And we just got too far along down the road and didn't really look down the road to see where we were even fucking heading. And here we are. Mm-hmm. It feels like we're grasping at straws a lot of the time. If you're somebody who actually gives a fuck about earth and yourself and everything else, trying to find that cohesive balance within it all can be overwhelming, you know? And even just someone like me who wants to educate for my own health and also for my listeners and viewers, it can be just, it's, it's, it's hard to know where to start and what to let go of, you know? Um, In, in the longevity solution, I think you, you touch on, a lot of myths and things that exist within the language in in culture now about fads and things that are out there that just aren't true. So what are a couple of the things that you found in your research that are out there that just are blatant lies as far as health and longevity and how to live longer and, and, and be your optimal self? Well, the biggest lie, and I tackled that in my first book, is that cutting your intake of salt is going to prolong your life. It's it's actually the opposite. Low salt diets have been shown to increase the risk of dying, increase cardiovascular disease in particular. Low salt diets are much worse than than consuming a high amount of salt. And when I say low salt, yeah, right? It's the complete opposite of what these dietary guidelines and, and health agencies are telling you. Um, because if you even look at the recommendations, it's based on a level of evidence. You always look at the level of evidence that this recommendation is even coming from. And a low salt diet is always evidence level C, expert opinion. 
I just go to the source. I typically just go to the clinical studies, the randomized control trials, and the meta-analyses, which gather all the studies, and see what actually happens. If you actually do that, it's the opposite. Normal amounts of salt are associated with the you know best longevity and the lowest risk of cardiovascular disease, which is essentially like one and a half teaspoons of salt per day is what, I, what I'm referring to as a normal amount of salt. Whereas health agencies are telling you to consume less than one teaspoon and sometimes even less than a half of a teaspoon of salt per day. And does this go back to what you were saying before about how, you know, these food manufacturers and these, like, I would imagine there's some salt lobbyists, them wanting to work together. Are are these food manufacturers funding these salt trials to sort of validate mm-hmm. them saying, no. hey, this is the amount of salt That's you should question. have? I just, That's a good question. I don't fucking trust anyone, Doc. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, no, you have to. You have to look at who's funding the study. And, you have to and look at who's funding the study because if it's coming from Captain Crunch and they're like, yeah, you should have more sugar in your diet, of course. Right. Of course. I feel right. like that's what's and, been going and, on in our in our society. Yeah, it, ha- it has been, but for the other white crystal, sugar. So sugar used salt as basically the scapegoat. They said, okay, well, we don't want our white crystal to be demonized, so we got to demonize something. Let's demonize the other white crystal, salt, which is an essential mineral. And really, that is where it stems from, is sugar shifting blame to salt as, as the white crystal that increases blood pressure and all these other things. That's shady bitch. And if we want to talk about mm-hmm. something in the world, in our society, that is the demon, it is sugar. It causes so many health issues. Yeah. And, and how does sugar affect the heart? Well, it, uh, it it takes a little bit for sugar to affect the heart, but um, it does so through numerous mechanisms. One is it causes something called insulin resistance and elevates your insulin levels, which raises your heart rate. And it also constricts the blood vessels. So raising chronically raising blood pressure. And it also causes diabetes, which obviously is going to be terrible for the heart because of the chronically elevated levels of blood sugar in the body. Right. So really that through through that mechanism of increasing blood sugar levels and um, creating something called advanced glycation and products that literally glycates your proteins. It basically just the sugars can can form these glycation products and mess up the proteins in your body. So that's kind of how overconsuming refined sugar leads to heart disease. It's just, you know, I think back to how we were raised in the 80s. I remember low fat, low sodium, uh, like right. just low, low sodium and low salt. And it, you're right. Like it just everything that we were told then, it's the opposite now. Like we're learning that fats aren't so bad. And in fact, they're right. vital to the function of a lot of our organs. And, you know, again, through my research, personal research of Alzheimer's disease, I mean, they refer to it as a form of diabetes of the brain. Right. Yeah. How the sugar affects the brain and how much it deteriorates and is uh, very influential in the buildup of those beta amyloids and the tau tangles that get into the edges of the brain tissue and causes that plaque buildup, which is kind of like the equivalent of the buildup in the heart, you know? So now if you're somebody who's susceptible to heart problems and a brain issue and disease like Alzheimer's, you're like, (laughs) you're getting beat at different ends of your body, you know? Um, So when it comes to salt and, you know, the salt fix, you talking about sugar, sugar is the devil. What, what are some, some other myths about salt that you have worked on 
reversing in, in, in as far as like the salt fix is considered, what is like one of the main takeaways from that particular book? Well, one is the fact that consuming a normal amount of salt can actually um, help blood pressure, whereas actually going on a low amount of salt can chronically lead to high blood pressure. Not, not from the acute standpoint, you may have a fall in blood pressure acutely because it's depleting your blood volume, which, which I can deplete your blood volume and lower your blood pressure as being healthy by telling you to not even drink water, but that's not healthy. So that essentially low salt diets just dehydrate you. And that's why they may reduce blood pressure in the acute setting. But then in the chronic setting, they're damp, they're, there's causing all this damage to lead to chronic elevations in blood pressure. So that's probably the biggest myth is that a low salt diet is good for your blood pressure. If somebody, you know, has heart problems, say I'm th- like me, 38 and my everything's clogged and I'm eating relatively healthy. What would you say, like if you were to see me or, or if I had to come in and, and be like, Hey, I'm having all these issues. What, what's, what's one of the first things you tell me to change? Well, so that's a loaded question, but it is. I, I would say, if, cause, cause <laughs> yeah. well, if you're eating healthy, I would say, well, are you really eating healthy? Like what are that's you a actually good question. Most people think they're eating healthy, but they're probably not right. They're eating out three times a week and they're not even realizing that these foods are just cooked in all these harmful oils or they have added sugar to it. So it really starts from cooking at home and, and viewing food is not something that should be that pleasurable. I mean, of course we want our food to taste good, but it's, it's for us to live. It's not for us to have this amazing flavor every single second of the day. That's not. And if you can slowly change your, your thought process on what food actually is for survival and not for pleasure, then you can start cooking more at home and not constantly seek out these amazing tasting meals from restaurants. It is difficult. That's definitely, you know, we are a pleasure seeking society and, Obviously, we're so influenced by marketing and capitalism and everything looking so delicious and us wanting to have an experience. We've really been sort of um, groomed to want a certain experience when it comes to dining. And that's not to say, you know, you can't indulge a little. But then again, I reference a, a doctor who I have had on the podcast, Dr. Daniel Amen, who I asked him, I was like, how do you indulge? Because he, he eats so healthy. His indulgence is a blueberry, like blueberries. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and my listeners yeah. are going to be like, fuck you. I want some mac and cheese. Uh, right. Is there, is there a healthy medium or do you have to expect if you're going to eat mac and cheese that you're going to have effects of mac and cheese? Mm-hmm. I think it depends on your baseline and how like active you are. So if you're someone who who's training and and has good physique, good mu- muscle, um, and you know you're lifting weights, you're in great shape, you can probably have uh, you know a couple pancakes every now and then. It's not going to affect you. Whereas someone who's already overweight and obese, you know they might need to stick to the blueberry as their <laughs> indulgence. It really does involve and require us to break habits. It's it goes beyond eating healthy and this goes into an ancestral habitual loop that people are in that they have to learn how to break. It's it's literally it, it's it's an addiction. It's it's you know, you have to retrain your brain to like you say eat for health and survival not just for pleasure. Because those two things they're 
they, they typically really, don't go together. They yeah. don't. They really don't. And that's right. the hardest part. But then again, I think about the blue zones in the country and people who have lived over a hundred years old in places like Sardinia, where they're eating pasta and drinking wine and having desserts. So uh, how do they do it? How, do, how does a place like Sardinia, Italy, how do they live to be a hundred and relatively healthy if they're eating these foods that we as Americans are also consuming, but are having adverse effects on our lifestyle and in our body? Right. I would say first, typically the American diet is 60% processed foods, things like Captain Crunches and donuts that Sardinians mm. aren't consuming, right? So like <laughs> our diet is completely different than let's say Sardinia. Uh, but secondly, their pasta, even the flour is manufactured and processed differently. So ours is ran through a steel roller mill, though theirs is typically stone ground. So it's much less refined and much more coarse and causes a much less you know, spike in blood sugar and insulin levels. So even their flour is different. The processing is all less compared to, compared to what we consume. Their portion size is also smaller. They're not consuming these gigantic bowls of pasta with like tons of cheese and, you know, all this other things in it. It's a much smaller portion. And then they do consume wine with typically though it's with a meal. It's not usually like three or four PM. um, (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Uh, Screwdrivers, you know, PM, (laughs) right? Like, so it's more, it's more like two or three small ounces of wine, like a little like wine glass with, with dinner. And, and so red wine, right. Especially if it's not a high sugar, red wine is completely different, right. Than like a screwdriver or something like that. What is now, listen, I enjoy wine. I have been a red wine drinker for a while and I don't overconsume. I used to in my 20s, but now it's not cute to wake up and have like mascara down my chin and a fake eyelash underneath my jaw and I have to like go and face the world. So I've learned to, you know, not overindulge. But you just said a low sugar wine. What are low sugar wines? Like I just assumed all of them were the same. All, all wines created equal. Oh Christ no, turned it from water to blood to wine. What was it? What, <laughs> yeah, something ha- right. There's bloody wine somewhere with Jesus water, Christ. Water to wine. Yeah. <laughs> yes. If you're, if you're Catholic, yeah. Or right. Christian, blood of Christ is a glass of wine. So which one of them doesn't have as much sugar? Well, that, well, the thing is, is most of the wines in the United States, they add, they put in added sugar. So it tastes good. So if it's sweet, it's going to have typically added sugar. And so you just look at the carbohydrate content typically. I didn't know that. I feel like I'm a pretty well-informed person. I didn't fucking know that. How could I not? Yeah. They add sugar they, to the wine? These yeah. fucking assholes. <laughs> well, so most healthy wines don't even really taste that good. Like you're going to notice the difference now. If you actually go to like a low or no sugar wine, it's going to be very dry. Um, you know, Pinot Is it, do Noir, you drink wine? Merlot. I, I don't because it's, wine is a slippery slope. So like if you can, <laughs> If you can sure handle statement it, has never been said yeah. on this podcast <laughs> because so many people will start being like, well, if one's good, two's going to be even better. And all of a sudden their one glass of wine is this big, right? It's like they're drinking a whole bottle. I'm feeling so, judged. I'm feeling triggered and judged right now. <laughs> no judgment. No judgment. <laughs> what I do at um, breakfast is my business, Doc. <laughs> yeah. What you do with whatever is, is totally your own business. But for, for a lot of people, it is a slippery slope and it's very um, habituating, just like sugar. So I think for me, I just don't need it. I can, I can get health benefits from other things that's not going to potentially cause me to become addicted to something. 
So just for argument's sake, just for our listeners who are out there who aren't ready to make the full jump to like biting, you know, eating liver and drinking water and being like the full straight narrow path of health. If they were to consume an alcohol, which is the healthiest alcohol for your heart? And there may not be a right answer, but can we get close? (laughs) Which liver is the best for your heart? Yeah, well, it wouldn't be the spirits, right? It wouldn't be vodka. It wouldn't be whiskey. That's not going to be the best for the heart. Tequila? Right? No, sorry. Oh, I mean, I do love, I do love tequila. I'm sorry, we have to go. We don't have any more time. <laughs> <laughs> it would probably be a, a no sugar red wine in a small amount with a meal because the polyphenols in the skin of the grapes contain, um, contain again, contain those polyphenols, resveratrol. Um, these what are called pterostilbenes and all these other beneficial compounds are in the skin of the grape and red wine gets that skin. White wine does not. So and you don't need a whole lot to, to get these benefits, but then for well, women, women need to be a little careful. Go easy. Women, we can, yeah, we do have to be careful. You have to be careful because of the breast cancer association, as you get to even a little bit moderate drinking does increase the risk of breast cancer. So you do have to be careful. Oh God. You know, it's like you can't do anything, right? Health is, like, sometimes health is fun, but sometimes health. it's really fucking rude. Sometimes health, health is bitch. just rude. Health is such a bitch. You know, and yeah. it does come down to the balance. And I, I'm relatively balanced. But like a lot of people coming out of this quarantine, people's lives have been upturned. You know, myself, I my entire tour got canceled. My relationship ended. And then my mom ended. Mm-hmm. So those stressors can really throw a wrench in your health regimen and make it hard to sort of find the desire and willpower to continue on, you know, being healthy. You know, you just sort of like, well, fuck it. I'm going to have red wine every night of the week because 2020. (laughs) But now that we're in 2021, you know, for you, aside from nutrition and everything as an individual, as a human being, how do you stay balanced like what are some ways that you maintain you know and i've seen you sort of post about it on your instagram but just for the listener's sake like how do you what are things that you implement into your diet not just nutritionally based but your overall diet which i i believe because i've seen what you've read and i believe it as well it it encompasses a wide variety of things to add into your life so how do you do it what do you do as an individual do you walk the walk (laughs) yeah well i think it is about balance too so don't get me wrong i'll have a cheat meal like once a week you know what i mean so i think that's important because it's you can eat healthy to a certain extent but then everybody eventually is going to say well i would love to just have this one meal that i love this pasta dish or or a couple slices of pizza i think it's okay like you don't want to be so strict with it that like no people are just gonna be like i'm just gonna not do that diet then or i'm not gonna eat healthy because i want to enjoy these certain things but you do have to for the majority of what you're consuming it's that 80 20 rule that you are consuming real whole foods and the 10 to 20 percent you know the you can indulge. What is That's, your cheat meal? I want to know what your cheat meal is. I it, imagine it would be, like it would a be garbage like pizza. plate. Yeah, pizza's yeah, great. No, I won't do. I won't do a garbage plate. Um, I'll I'll do a healthy garbage plate, but I won't do like a traditional. Is that just a salad? Healthy garbage plate. A garbage plate for me would be like lightly cooked potatoes instead of deep fried potatoes. It would be like 
the bison or elk ground meat instead of like, you know, just your regular ground meat. And then it would definitely not be like the pasta with the omega-6 soybean oil. Um, you know, it would just be again, probably those, those potatoes just oven cooked in the oven. Right. That's like my healthy garbage plate. You can turn like, you can like kind of go meat in the middle where you don't have to consume something that's absolutely terrible for you but meet yourself in the middle. So it still feels like a cheat meal, but like a big cheat meal for me will be like a couple slices of pizza. I'll eat a whole fucking pizza. I'll eat a whole damn <laughs> You'll eat pizza. The whole pie. I'll eat. I know I don't look like it. I will eat the whole pie. There's this place in LA called Chubby's pie. I don't know what they do to the dough, but the dough reminds me of dough from Italy. And it is just mm-hmm. the greatest. And, and the other thing to the Italy point, their food is so light you know right. what I mean? Like their pizza and their pastas. You're right. Like the flour is just so different that mm-hmm. even the pizza there doesn't feel like junk food, you sure. know? Um, but then again, you know, you're talking about like having pizza and like finding ways to like make it a healthy garbage plate. There's eating, there's a slippery slope, you know, and, mm-hmm. and I'm almost over that hump of eating healthy is attractive to me. You know, I, I see the benefits and my body starts to require it and want it and yearn for it. But then like when I dip back, I almost get these like junk food hangovers because mm-hmm. my body's like, wait, whoa, 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 We're, what are you doing? Right. You know, it's like upgrading. It, it's upgrading your life and then trying to go backwards and it just doesn't, it doesn't fit anymore. It it's doesn't. so true you start to see the effects of the, what the food does to you when you start to change your mind and you eat it long enough, you start to see the negative effects quicker the longer you've eaten healthy. That's what I've realized about myself. Yeah, I agree. I think because you, if you were always just consuming that terrible diet, you, and then all of a sudden you like start eating healthy. Now all of a sudden you're like, if you eat that bad food again, now your stomach hurts. Like you feel the change. Like, oh my gosh. Whereas like you're, maybe your stomach always hurt and you were always running to the bathroom and it right. just was normal for you. So like right. it didn't even click like, oh, this shouldn't be happening. So many so. people out there don't realize that they are, their body is under oxidative stress. They are, mm. they have immense inflammation in their body and they're just popping pr- Prilosec and Tums right. thinking it's heartburn. Right. There's so much going on in your body that is screaming to be listened to and dealt with that we just dumb it down with these, you know, tums and things. I I used to do that all the time. I'm like, oh, God, I've got agita. You know, I'm Italian. I got agita. No, no, you have inflammation and you're slowly getting yourself. I mean, basically, you're right. You're just like suppressing. It's like a Band-Aid for um, the oxidation that you're producing in your body. Yeah. Um, you know, in the immunity fix, you talk a lot about uh, improving stress re- resilience. Is that how you said it? What does that yeah. mean? It's so it's sort of like, you know, kind of like the hormesis effect where you give your body a little bit of stress. So it's more resilient afterward. And this, this is like the, the basis to health. So we used to think it should just be consume antioxidants, consume antioxidants and prevent oxidative stress. And it's actually give yourself a little bit of oxidative stress via sunlight, exercise, sauna, cold therapy, and then you're more resilient later on. And th- that that's where we're seeing the, the greatest benefits, pr- like on a chronic basis, is doing things that are basically a hormetic response. Right. And so this is a part of also your overall, you know, I forgot how you said it when it was on Instagram, but basically like your... Um, 
it was like your health plan per se, where it's sun, yeah. nutrition, mm-hmm. sleep. I would assume hot, cold, hot, cold, like controlled stress, resilience. What yeah. are some other things that you sort of look to implement on a daily basis? A meditation. Do you meditate? Well, I don't formally meditate, but I will like, I'll go into the sauna two or three times a week and I'll, I'll think I'll be in deep thought. So essentially that's meditation to me is just a quiet place where I'm, I'm actively thinking about my breathing and I'm having these sort of like subconscious thoughts. And that's, that's where most of the best ideas come from is right. Where you're like, you're not thinking about the problem. It's when you're it's when you're not thinking about the problem where your subconscious mind can kick on and it'll give you the answer to the problem that you're trying to solve. So it's like you like that's why meditation is so great, not just for the calming benefits, but like it'll help you go to where you want to go in life by giving you that bright big idea that you can't get trying to solve the problem. Yeah, it is like when you sort of unthink and unlearn, you open up a world within your brain, you know, it, I always talk about the value of boredom and how how much society has been robbed of daydreaming with the implementation of social media, how important daydreaming is to your brain and allowing your brain to just take a walk through the woods on its yes. own and yes. what the, the long-term effect that that has, beneficial effect that has is it permeates through your entire being. I learned that from just, you know, needing to find something to sort of grab onto when my dad was so sick, who I was so close with. I needed to find a space to allow my brain to be in a quiet space. And in this society, it's really hard to do, you know, um, maybe people who live in the suburbs who don't have children or Wi-Fi can handle, but those people tend to murder people. I'm just kidding, guys. I'm sure you're living in a nice cabin by the lake. Uh, I'm also a comedian trying to make a joke because I do that in uncomfortable situations. Um, I just think that for me, finding the quiet really provides a health benefit beyond stress relief. I feel like, you know, I do this thing. I've, I mentioned it before. I, I, was, I told Rogan about it and I talk to my cells. <laughs> I there should preface go. this with I do smoke marijuana, Doc, but I also talk to myself <laughs> when I'm sober in just like mm-hmm. a gratitude format, like trying to really get to the core of my being and sort of allow things to dissipate and allow things a little bit of calm. Um, right. So, you know, I just think that it's hard for people to find ways to check off all these boxes you know, and, and maybe that's me sort of placating to people finding a way out of not doing anything. But, you know, like the sunshine and the exercise and the healthy eating. And, you know, people look at this list and they're like, I can't do that. How, how can I do that? I've got two kids and a job and all these other things going on. What, what do you say to those people who may think they're so busy and they can't? What what could people do to sort of start to implement those seven or eight things that I will put in the sh- uh, show notes for you guys because I've referenced it a couple times. What do you say to those people who say I can't or it's too hard? What happens? What what's beyond that? Yeah, I mean it's starting slow. If even if it's just a five or ten minute walk after a meal, because 
it is the such a society that's like all about productivity, productivity, and we don't value the downtime, but actually leaders like Amazon and Google are creating now these like nap stations because they realize the value of actually downtime. And so like there's this perfect ratio of 50 minutes of being on and 10 minutes of being off. And that provides a really good productivity and much less stress because you're recovering from the 50 minutes of something. You get, you take a 10 minute break, you're, you're refreshed, you recover, you think of that idea, how to solve the problem that took you 50 minutes and you didn't, weren't even able to come up with a single idea to solve it. And you do that cycle. So it's just like these, these short little, little breaks. If you can find them that little time in the day, they really make a huge difference. It is about starting small. I think that's a really good point. I think people overwhelm themselves with needing to accomplish a huge, a huge chunk of it. Like you say, we are in this like productive society where we value producing and we don't realize that you can produce so much more by finding space to do fucking nothing. There's exactly. so much value in the silence of life and we've, we've gotten so far from that. So I'm glad that you're an advocate of that as well, because obviously in your profession, the medical industry, it is a very competitive profession and it's a business and you're also dealing with lawsuits. There's so many things encompassed in that one industry that to have a professional encourage a quote unquote non-productive approach to life is, you know, it's, it's unorthodox. So I appreciate that um, outlook and honesty because you're, you're a little bit of a rebel. You're a little bit of a rebel, you in your industry. I don't know if anyone's ever it's told you bad. that. Has anyone, mm -hmm. have you been told that? <laughs> yeah, I'm a disruptor. That, that's for sure. <laughs> you are, you're like from Harry Potter, you're one of the dementors. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Trying, I'll like, take, take that down the, Yeah, I think that's what you are. Um, mm -hmm. I know we only have a couple more minutes. Uh, I have a couple more questions for you. Uh, we've covered it, but just to go over it again, in your prof professional and personal opinion, why is heart disease so prevalent in our society? It's, it's because we're really removed from, totally removed from nature, um, from the standpoint that we're, we're no longer walking amongst nature in fresh air, getting sunlight, um, having the downtime to just think. We're not consuming real whole foods. It's all processed foods and we're not moving anymore. We're just, we're stuck in a cubicle for eight hours and then we just repeat the cycles on repeat and we're all super stressed and we're, we're bombarded with this unnatural light at night and our sleep is terrible. So it's like from start to finish, we are so far away from how we evolved. It's, it's not even funny. And because it's because of that really why we're not just heart disease, but you know, all systems of the body are failing. Yes. All systems are failing. Exactly. They are yeah. from your head to your fucking toe. I mean, from Alzheimer's yeah. to gout, we're fucking up. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. You should like uh, trademark that. <laughs> well you know i have i you can see on my screen um i i'm a fake doctor people always talk about me being a fake doctor like um and you know because i i like to educate and i like to you know share my experiences and i'm just a, a a doctor based off of what i've experienced and how many times i've been humbled by life that, you know, I share what I know. So it, on Mondays we do this. Um, I have a couple questions from my fans. Would you be cool answering some? Yeah. Sure. I told them you were going to be on the podcast. Um, 
What? This is a good question. Tatum Temple, what is the one thing you wish you had never learned in medical school? It's an interesting question. I, I feel like he was trying to form it in a different way, but, you know, hmm. m- maybe like one thing that you didn't f- find useful. Hmm, I don't think it's a good, hmm. as, as good of a question as I thought it was when I read it. One thing that I learned that wasn't useful. Hmm. Yeah, maybe or maybe one thing that you challenged in medical school. Tatum might probably have been on the, that, on the pipe. Pro- I mean, I mean, probably that like we should be starting off with like treating people with medications and, and not trying to find the the root cause. You're really not taught typically about treating these root causes. It's it's like just give this pill for this acid reflux, so to speak. So that that's probably the least useful thing is to just give give a pill and a band aid to fix something and not treat the root cause. It's so fucking frustrating. And when I think about yeah. when I think about it, it makes me so irate because of everything that my mom went through. Um, let's see. <laughs> These people ask questions that I just will else I will refrain from asking you because I know that they're just trying to be cute. Tina Heavens ninety one. Is liquid chlorophyll safe to add into your routine and how often, if so? Oh, that's a good question. So, I mean, chlorophyll does come from things like spinach, um, things like um, dark greens, chlorophyll. That's that that combo actually contains magnesium. So, some people will take like pure chlorophyll. I think it's always best to just try to source it through diet. So, for me, I get my chlorophyll through spinach. And what does chlorophyll do? Is it the thing that sort of? I mean, my mind is thinking of like removing toxins, but I don't know if that's like some witchcraft. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, I think how we think it works is that it may um, help reduce UV damage in the skin. It may help us um, actually utilize the sun better, sort of like, like a plant. plant. Wow! Like actually, help us produce more ATP. Not exactly like a plant. Obviously, not like photosynthesis. Right. But our bodies may actually utilize chlorophyll in the sun. Our skin's almost like a battery to help us produce ATP and energy. So, and then also it's providing the magnesium, which is super important for like over 600 functions in the body. Yeah. Magnesium is, is one of those ones that people should be popping, right? Yeah. Yeah. That most people are deficient in. Yeah. Okay. Um, let's see. Um, my 30, uh, this is Jenna Marie 317. My 32 year old sister has really bad psoriasis. Do you get this all the time where your doctor, people just assume you know everything about everything. (laughs) Hey doc, I got this rash right near my left nipple. Can you look at it? Um, (laughs) Jenna Marie says, my 32-year-old sister has really bad psoriasis. Any recommendations I could give her to help? There's been a ton of uh, like case reports that doing elimination diets may help with psoriasis, right? So I can't give advice or recommendations, but a lot of foods are inflammatory. So a lot of people will just sort of stick to, they'll start with like just consuming meat or organ meats because you're eliminating all of these potential, you know, phthalates and oxalates and lectins and all these things that could potentially be triggering psoriasis. So starting with an elimination diet and just starting with a basic, just like meat diet, essentially, or carnivore diet may help. And then slowly adding back certain things like avocados or fruit, like berries, things like that. That's a really good way to sort of, you know, uh, figure out what's going on in your body. It's hard to do, but the elimination diet has been useful for me in certain areas. Um, Last question here. Molly D, Molly D, does... Smoking marijuana protect you from getting COVID. <laughs> no. 
I don't think we have any studies that would say that smoking marijuana would, would prevent us from getting COVID. Yeah. That was really a question for me. Well, there's no Molly D. That was really my <laughs> <Right>. question. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I appreciate your time so much. You guys, he has f- four books, The Salt Fix, Superfuel, The Longevity Solution, and The Immunity Fix. Uh, is it s- The Immunity and Fix? The, is and the, the most- Mineral Fix. Too. And The Mineral Fix, yes. Yeah, that's um, the most recent one. Yeah. Where can my listeners find you, see you, absorb information? YouTube is at Dr. James Dinick. So that's D-R- James D I N I C and as well as Twitter and then Dr. James uh, to Antonio Facebook and Dr. James is my website. Amazing. And I guess one last thought that I have sort of asked people kind of it, through quarantine, what are some, just a couple ways that maybe you have and people can thrive in life, maybe some budget ways that aren't so expensive mm-hmm. Oh yeah, sure. Well, I was going to say get sunlight in the morning because it's just so, it sets your day. It's so great. I've noticed if I don't get like 15 minutes of sunlight right in the morning, like I just, I don't function well. So like just to start your circadian rhythm and and get that clock going, I think sunlight in the morning and then, um, you know, things to sort of, so you're not being spending so much money on all these health foods is, you can buy like healthy meat, but just get get ground meats. You don't have to buy T-bone steaks and fillets and all these things because it's going to be two to three times as expensive. So if you can source healthy meats or um, as long as it's, if it's ground meat, great. Like that's going to be two to three times less expensive as like a, like a steak or something like that. Yeah. So and you can freeze it. A lot of money. Yeah. You can freeze it. Yeah. And have cheeseburgers without feeling guilty. I mean, maybe not healthy. necessarily cheese, but I'm going to have to put cheese on it, doc. Okay. Yeah. Is cheese, is cheese going to kill me? Cheese. Less- no, organic cheddar cheese. That's great. Oh, God. You know, you've pissed me off a couple times by telling me I can't sure I crunch and, you know, wine's, yeah. wine's, a, wine's a son of a no bitch. No more Olestra chips. No more fucking Olestra chips. That's so funny. I haven't heard that since I was a kid. <laughs> <laughs> well, I truly appreciate you taking time out of your day to get on here and educate us. Once in a while, we like to do these doctor episodes where we actually have a real doctor on with the fake doctor to bust some myths so again you guys can check him out i will put links to his books and his website in the show notes and if you guys want to check him out you check him out on instagram where i found him where all the information is very inspirational and i'll be posting a couple things on my feed today and tomorrow from there so you guys can find him if you click on there thank you so much doc i appreciate you and i may be hitting you up just with my own rashes once in a while if you can just give me some advice and help i'd really appreciate it Feel free to, yeah, feel free to hit me up with those images. I'll, I'll, I'll try to help you out. <laughs> Thank you so much. I appreciate you. Okay. All right. Yeah. Appreciate you too. Bye. Bye. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.